Hi, everyone. Welcome to Kickoff Labs on Growth. This week is going to be a founder chat where Scott and I talk about performance. We recently had a push to optimize the page speed and load times on the Kickoff Labs marketing site, application, and the landing pages Kickoff Labs generates for its customers. We learned a lot, and I wanted to share this information with you because it's going to help you build better landing pages with higher conversion rates, online stores that people want to shop at, and apps that people enjoy using because it just feels snappier. This is episode four, and I hope you enjoy it. There's a note here to talk about what's new, and I added that, and I was going to have Scott go first, but I'll just start. Uh, see, so this week, uh, in the last week, I started playing baseball again for the first time in three years. And I am now extremely sore after playing one game on Sunday. So I don't know if you have any advice for that, Scott. Uh, just motivation. You're watching the Yankees. You know, really got you excited to get back into baseball. Yeah, they do have team spirit. I'll give them that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have nothing. I told you I played basketball for the last couple of years. And then uh, I think recently retired because the uh, kept getting injured and had no idea how he's getting injured. Um, so my recommendation is probably don't do it, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to see if I can avoid getting injured right now. I'm just, uh, feeling the pain of doing something I hadn't done in a long time. Uh, yeah. so like I said, today, we're going to talk to you about, uh, performance and I want to talk a little bit about why that's important to think about. And when I talk about performance specifically in this episode, we're talking about, uh, site speed, how long it takes a website or an app to load. Um, and so in this case, one of the reasons we looked at it is a good 40% of our landing page views of people coming to our marketing site were from uh, mobile devices. And that was especially true for places that we advertise. So in ads on Facebook and Twitter, uh, people are coming over from uh, from mobile devices because that's where they're browsing those things and that's where they're clicking the ads. And they may later come back and sign up on a desktop, but I want their first experience to be, uh, to be something that feels fast uh, because I think that plays a lot into customer perception. If something comes up slow, uh, they're going to have a slow perception of your whole site, uh, app, or your store. Um, and that's based on some research. Uh, I used to work in ages ago at Microsoft. And I remember seeing the research that basically said if the application started slow, people thought the whole thing was slow. It didn't matter how fast things actually were. But if this started slow, the perception is your whole thing was uh, just not worth waiting for. Um, SEO is another good reason, search engine optimization. Uh, Google does now start, want they want to reward faster pages. Um, and the last one is, uh, you know, just consider that, you know, you as a founder, marketer uh, on the internet somewhere, you probably have a decently fast internet connection. Uh, I know I do. And what we see on the internet isn't necessarily the experience of a lot of your potential customers when they look at your store or your app um, or your landing pages there. Or even your hardware performance, right? I mean, you probably, as someone who's starting a company, especially a web company, you, know, you probably have a, a newer computer, um, you know, a, like you said, a, a better, bigger monitor um, and those kinds of things, a better video card, or you know, maybe you have a video card um, and all those things can make your app seem quick and seem fast and speedy, uh, but to your typical end users, it's it's not. You 
Yeah, absolutely. The, the, that's a good note, especially the, uh, the thing about the hardware is, is, you know, I think both of us are on fairly recent, uh, you know, high-end MacBook Pros, and that's probably not the case for a lot of, uh, a lot of people out there. Um, so my first note, and this comes from looking at a lot of uh, our own customer pages and their landing pages and what they're attempting to do, is called, uh, I say, right size your images. Uh, big images equal a big download time. And I think what this comes from and where I see it a lot in uh, with our customers is people go and they look for a stock photo of something to use. And these stock photo sites um, have started offering extremely large versions of the photo. I mean, versions of the photo you could print and put on, you know, a 25 foot tall billboard um, outside of Times Square when what you are using the photo for is maybe like a headshot on your landing page or your website somewhere and that headshot is maybe you know 500 pixels maybe and you know thinking about it looking at a website like an inch wide and you're using a photo that's you know made to be 25 inches or on a 32 inch monitor you know blown up and looked at and that causes a lot of bandwidth and the browser just stops and it starts downloading these large images and it causes people's pages to look slow the images don't load and then if there's text in front of the image then that doesn't look right that was my first big note. Um, and also just introduce the first tool to help people check these things out. If you Google online, you just Google for the Google Page Speed Analyzer. Um, that's just a really simple tool. You can just enter in a website and it'll pull up a report that shows you a bunch of these other things we'll talk about. But also one of the top things it shows is you know images that aren't uh, that are probably too big and are taking up a lot of download time. The other images that, you know, I guess somewhat recent, more recent trends, you know, for images is the, and I, this might even be our first, um, uh, I, I can't even think of the way of saying it, our, our first uh, you know, decisive point or whatever is a GIF or GIF, um, you know, it would be, you know, you know, the animated ISA GIF, but animated GIFs, um, they are increasingly, you know, getting more complicated um, and they're getting bigger. I think we had one customer, we were just trying to, we were just analyzing our own logs and we just saw a big, huge uptake in traffic. And it's just because someone had uploaded a massive, um, you know, GIF that they, you know, were using, um, in, you know, in their pages. And it was just, you know, eating a lot of bandwidth. But I can imagine that was a, a large file to be downloaded um, and a slow file to be downloaded for, you know, a lot of end users. So. Yeah, absolutely. They um, and the, the tools to generate these uh, the the gifts are are definitely vary in terms of uh, in terms of the how what kind of quality and size they produce. I mean, I used a default tool. I used Dropler as a tool for taking screenshots, and started using that at first for some gifts we were using for support, and then realized that it was doing such a high frame rate and resolution. Even a you know short five second little animated gif was was huge. Until I and I had to end up using uh, getting Camtasia, a much more uh, a, a larger <laughs> larger tool, mostly for video editing. But they had the control over the export of a of a of a GIF that would let me say uh, I wanted it to be less than this size. And it would say, okay, well, you're going to have to reduce the resolution by this much and reduce the frame rate by this much. But it it helped me find a happy medium for the image uh, for that that I wanted to help help people with support. Yeah, the website uh, Giphy has a really nice, uh, at least for a Mac, um, you know, app that has a lot of stuff like that. But even the same thing, by default, the the, the files it generates are huge, but there is control, if I if I remember correctly, to you know to, to tune that into something much more realistic. So, I right, on to you for our second point. 
So our, our second point uh, we have listed is, you know, performance is, you know, art versus science. Um, and I think part of that, what I was getting at is that, and you had mentioned this in your, in your intro, is that a lot of it's just a perception of, of speed. Um, so a couple of years ago, we started using um, a, a tool on our, uh, on our main, you know, marketing, on our main uh, application site called TurboLinks. And that just, you know, it, it just gives us a perception of pages loading quicker um, because you're not loading, you know, everything with a page. You're only loading essentially the middle part, you know, that, that changes. But then, you know, customers don't have to wait for, you know, the JavaScript files and CSS and everything to be re-downloaded and parsed. Um, and so nothing is really happening quicker on our servers. It's just quicker, you know, in a browser. And it gives, gives that big performance uh, or perception of, you know, performance. Um, and then the other one was kind of like a walk back in time. Um, you know, we've been doing this now for about eight years, but I remember when we first started um, making deployments to our, our main app. Um, and we were, you know, we're new and we're deploying, you know, all the time, you know, throughout the day. And I, re I remember, you know, trying to optimize on, on when to do deployments <laughs> um, because it would take time for, you know, we use, you know, Rails behind the scenes. Um, and it would take time for our app to load. And we wanted it, you know, again, to. it's nothing we were doing slow, um, but it's just every time we did a deployment, the whole app needed to restart and it just made the pages feel like they were kind of dragging on. And uh, Heroku, um, who, where else do we host? Um, our app has a had a feature that came out a while ago, and now it's pretty standard. But it's called Preboot, and that was the idea of you know we did a deployment, and Heroku would spin up our app on the side, and once it was ready to go, they would kind of then switch it out. And so for our end users, you know the the app never slowed down, um, everything kept going, and it gave us the option to you know keep deploying throughout the day and not having to think about you know is now a good time to deploy or do we want to wait till you know five o'clock East Coast time or do we want to deploy at five o'clock West West Coast time or, or overnight. And you know, all those things that just you know make for you know for a miserable experience. It's interesting as like as you progress on <laughs> as you progress on the journey, the different things you learn about how people move through your app and use your app, and where you know where you've got the bottlenecks, and you, you'll come across areas. I mean, we've come across a bunch where it's like, oh, didn't know this would be a bottleneck, and then of course it is, and you optimize it and and make that part faster and find the next find the next piece to keep uh, keep that perception high of the performance. Uh, so. My next note was uh, cut JavaScripts and styles. That would be the CSS on websites that you aren't using, and consider cutting ones uh, that you think, even the ones that you think are required. And so, it's kind of two notes here. So we had recently we moved our marketing site for KickoffLabs.com off of WordPress to a static site, um, and one of the you know one of the reasons we did that. I mean, we had a WordPress site forever. Um, and the journey. And I think we were on now our, you know, sort of second and a half overridden WordPress theme. So it was a WordPress theme on top of a WordPress theme, probably on top of some custom styles. And the reality was when we started looking at this using some, some tools that analyze the CSSs and the scripts is we weren't using most of it. Um, the second piece I'll talk about is a little bit of the, the complexity of having WordPress. But the reality is, you know, when we went through and removed the scripts that we weren't using on the site, so we basically started from scratch again, almost on a on a new site, new marketing site, and you know only including the things that we were actually needed and used on the page to you know verify an email address or the scripts to to run a credit card or you know we we did want to use Google Analytics to keep getting um, some basic marketing data on the site. 
we went from a score of around 40% in a page analyzer to around 98% on the key pages on our marketing site. And that was a huge difference in terms of how quickly the site comes up. Uh, like I said in the beginning on, on mobile phones, it comes up much faster. Um, it feels feels quicker. And when I say things you think are required, um, I find a lot of time customers include things on their sites and pages to do things like, you know, rotating, you know, rotating a video image. And they use these massive libraries. And I don't think people realize how big some of the JavaScripts they include on their pages are. But when they include, you know, jQuery and then all these other JavaScript plugins on top of plugins, just to do a really simple task. Uh, the first question I was asked is, do you even really need the the image rotator or that script? And the second question is, and and you'll get to to in a bit, is like, are there simpler ways to do to do that kind of thing um, on your on your site? And we found a bunch of places where we just had simpler ways of doing something, simpler ways of conveying the message on the marketing site. Um, and in the end, it also just makes it easier for us to to maintain. Yeah, so that's uh, I think that's the key too. You know, especially when you talk with moving from WordPress to something else, it's just the long-term, uh, you know, maintenance, you know, of the entire, you know, the entire process and, and project. I, I just think it just gets simpler for you um, when you have less moving pieces, um, when you're not relying on someone else's, you know, code like that, um, you know, at runtime, um, and it just makes life easier for you. So, one of the big, one of the ways we really help the uh, the marketing site is we use a library called Purge CSS because um, we were using Bootstrap and it goes through and cuts out, um, I don't remember what the numbers were, but it was something like 70 or 80% or more. Um, you know, Bootstrap's a, a great framework um, and a, there's a lot of websites built with it. Um, there's a lot you can do with it. Um, but at the end of the day, most people don't need, you know, all of Bootstrap. You need just, you know, you might be using a grid, you might be using some buttons, you you know, just need a fraction of it. And so Perch CSS goes through and then removes, uh, you know, all the, looks at all the CSS you're using um, and what you're not using and, and cuts it out. Um, one, one of the good things we did recently is we finally we moved to, uh, we upgraded to Rails 5.2, which has uh, support for Webpack. Um, and so one of the things we're working on now is bringing those same changes um, that we did to leverage Purge CSS and, and some stuff like that and bring it into our, our main app. Like today, you know, we only get the benefit, you know, on a marketing site, but uh, going forward in the coming weeks, we should be able to do um, have, have similar changes that we can make on our, our main app um, and then be able to push those changes out as well. So, Yeah, and then uh, you have the uh, you have the next note as well. <laughs> We're going to have to work in these transitions. Yeah. Um, so from a, from a pure app perspective, one of the things we did, and again, this is seven or eight years ago, um, it wasn't nearly as common um, as it is today, um, but that's using background workers. So we do you know everything humanly possible within our app. Um, we push to the background. And so for even a, a small, you know, small company and small, you know, uh, you know, you know, team like ourselves, we're still doing millions of these, like, you know, just micro little tasks, um, you know, in the background. But it, again, it gives us the ability to, uh, you know, to keep the app from, uh, from an end user's perspective moving um, rather quickly. Um, it enables us, to, you know, to, to capture signups quickly on our customer landing pages. Because again, we do the, the bare minimal, um, bare minimum we have to, um, you know, when someone signs up, you know, we capture, the data we put in the database and then we're able to just throw off a whole bunch of like jobs, you know, as far as, you know, validating the user and sending emails out, um, scoring the, you know, scoring the users, um, tracking points, you know, all those things, you know, happen in the background. Um, and again, it just makes it, 
much easier for us to you know kind of manage and it, the uh, the perception of it being quick is there because we do something like 20 or 30 you know individual just looking at um, from when our customers capture a lead there's like 20 or 30 things um, that happen every time we capture a lead but we don't need to make someone signing up wait for us to go through and you know dot those dot all those eyes and cross all those t's um, you know we can get back to them quickly moving on to the uh, back to a customer like the very front facing side of things uh, are the fonts that people see um, from my perspective and we'll probably do a whole other podcast on uh, on design of landing pages and fonts uh, when I see a landing page with not just multiple fonts but just sort of the transitions between you know, even if you only have two or three fonts on the page but you've got one of them giant one of them medium and then another one giant and then some italics and some red and some yellow um, and people do this all the time. It's just visually disconcerting. Um, and it would just look much better if people, if you stuck to more of a traditional just, you know, there's a headline and there's some paragraph text and there's, you know, a font that you use for, for both of those things. Um, I read that 67% um, of websites now use some sort of custom font, which are or web font, which means that it's not something that's on your customer's uh, computer to begin with, uh, that would be a web safe font. Um, and so you have to download these things. And so the more fonts you put on a page, uh, the more the more different web fonts you put on the page, the more people have to download and the more often, um, if you ever see loading a website and you see this blank page uh, where there should be text, it's they're not loading a, a safe font first for those fonts and it's waiting to download the larger font. Uh, before it shows up. And um, if people can't read what you're trying to sell them, then they can't uh, buy what you're trying to sell them. And it just, it creates this uh, this um, uh, perception again of performance. And so my recommendation is just to, um, we're not gonna unring the bell of people using uh, downloading fonts if it's at 67% of the web is using a custom font, uh, but to consider instead of using three, maybe you only need to load one custom font on the page, or instead of using, you know, instead of using five, go down to two uh, on the page. And just that little bit of reduction can make a difference. Uh, you can also now in, in, in modern browsers, you can tell them to preload um, the fonts and move it up higher on the page stack. So it's loading first. That does come at a cost because then it'll, it won't load the content till later. Um, and so it's a little bit of a trade-off, but you can uh, you can do preloading on fonts as well. Yeah. And I'll throw into things like you know font awesome. You know it, it, it looks like this great way of you know getting a whole bunch of you know icons on the screen, but you pay a price for that. And then I've seen now people are using multiple um, you know I guess different versions of font, not different versions of font awesome, but just other icon fonts. Um, and and all these things come come at a cost. Um, the other one of the neat things I saw you mentioned in the beginning about people using um, you know a font for just a headline um, is that I know Google does this with their their fonts and I don't know if any of the other um, hosting providers do it but they'll let you to kind of speed things up a little bit more too you can just you can tell it hey I want to use this font and you can pass in an query string um, like the phrase you're going to use right if you're just using it for just one particular headline and they'll optimize it so that way that font you download is a version that just contains those five letters or if you're using one um, for your logo you can tell it you know here's the four unique characters um, for my logo or five or whatever it is and they'll optimize a font um, you know just for that and that's, you know, you're still making a request and still paying the, the price, but at least you're minimizing it and you're kind of slimming it down a bit more. 
Yeah, that's a really good. Uh, that's a really good um, bit of advice. I saw that advice on fonts is not just making <laughs> smaller fonts, but that you can request in, in most services now that subset of the characters. So you, if you only need a few of the characters, um, you can be a much smaller download for people. Um, especially for like headlines and logos and, and and that kind of stuff where you have a, a lot of control over it. Yeah. And you mentioned Font Awesome. It was funny. We, we went through that on, on the marketing site and I was seeing like, how do I shave this extra uh, half second off the load? And I was looking at it being Font Awesome. And I looked at the marketing site. So what are we using Font Awesome for? And it turned out we were only using it in the footer to link to the Kickoff Labs Twitter and Facebook pages. I said, well, that's an easy thing to cut. So we cut the icons out and now it just says Twitter and Facebook at the bottom, um, which in some ways I think is actually more usable. Um, and we were able to cut the whole dependency on the marketing site having uh, having Font Awesome. Yeah, I know my own you know, personal blog, I, I did made a similar uh, decision and I just went with like inline SVGs. And again, you get all the same benefit um, and it's, you know, it's you know, kind of right in line. Um, probably out of context for us too, but the other thing I find awesome too is just to look at the usability and accessibility um, of things like that too. It doesn't doesn't always come through um, the way you'd expect it to on screen readers and smaller devices. You know, so. I can't remember what we were going to talk about next, Scott. Oh, well, we have a list right in front of us, so we'll keep uh, you know scrolling through. Um, so I had for for my next one was memory monitoring um, or just monitoring in general. So uh, this kind of Maybe this is one we could have started with, but one of the one of the hard things to do when you you know performance monitoring is knowing when something went wrong. Was it with a deployment? Was it something that happened you know recently? Was it a change in dependency? Uh, and I always say I, I kick myself because we didn't really do enough of this monitoring. Um, we were just getting started, um, and when you look at you know memory graphs and and CPU usage and, and those kinds of things, it's it's, it's hard to know um, if we've gone back, if we've made a lot of improvement, um, where things change, because we don't have a, a great uh, starting point for, for when we started using these tools. So I guess it's kind of just as a tip for, you know, for any app that you just, when you're just getting started, um, we use an app today called Scout um, that watches all this stuff for us. And, uh, you know, just to have that, you know, up and running from the beginning uh, will give you, you know, you at least know where you are from day one and it'll make it easier to follow um, the changes you made, you know, what um, improvements you made, if you've done something. Again, the big thing is, you know, did you deploy something or did you make an underlying change that's out of your control? And that adversely affects, you know, your performance in, in some way. So for our case, it would be, you know, a, a gem dependency that we use, you know, a different version of Rails, a different version of Ruby um, and those types of things. Yeah, we do need to work on these transitions because I don't know how to start <laughs> the next part. Did you like my memory introduction though? That was that was good, right? Um, yeah. We'll get better, people. We'll get better. I, I promise. And I think I'm overly trying not to step, you know, the, you know, the, the step on your your line. So we're we're, we're going to work on it. So. All right. So I mentioned this earlier. We migrated uh, uh, our marketing site off of WordPress to a static site, which means one where the pages are just all, just all written out uh, to disk. Uh, ahead of time, there's no database involved in our marketing site anymore. Um, and our landing pages, uh, the landing pages our app at Kickoff Labs we generate are all basically static pages as well that are published uh, in advance. And so there's no uh, database lookup when you first come to the page uh, on, on the landing pages. And you know, there were a lot of reasons uh, to do this. Uh, the performance of that you know, database lookup in WordPress is, is one of them. 
uh, we were paying, um, probably still are paying for a couple more months for <laughs> a lot for WordPress hosting. Uh, and, uh, and it felt like, you know, we were, we would still see these outages, uh, from time to time that were out of our control because something went wrong with the database or the database server. And it just, it removed one more thing that could go wrong from our, uh, from our process or marketing site, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I think removing that one, uh, dependency had a lot to do with, uh, you know, it makes it simpler to maintain. It's less error prone. And, you know, for all the reasons we've talked about before, the pages are just going to be faster, uh, faster loading for people. Um, and so, you know, it might not make sense for everybody out there to do that. Um, you know, there's certainly some, some downsides. WordPress has a huge uh, ton of, you know, publishing and workflow tools around it. Um, although my personal opinion is the latest WordPress editor and the uh, latest version of WordPress was a huge step backwards. I know I'm not alone in thinking that, uh, but there are there, there are a lot of publishing tools that people are used to. And, you know, we you you kind of miss out a little bit of those on those workflows. But I think the benefit uh, going forward of having less overhead is clearly uh, is clearly worth it, which leads right into your next topic. Yeah. Uh, so less overhead. <laughs> Only use what you need. Um, yeah, I guess this one's you know, pretty obvious as well, but you know, to really think about uh, dependencies you take on. So I'm talking more, I guess, from the from the app perspective, but it, but it could relate to the marketing site as well, right? Because you can pull in um, different JavaScript frameworks and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but it's it's very easy when you're getting started to just you know grab everything. Um, I said we we use Ruby and Rails um, for our main app, but I just remember when we first got started. Um, coming from you know our, our backgrounds, right? We both have you know backgrounds in the .NET world and the Microsoft world, which has changed a lot um, in the last eight years or so um, since we were there as well. Um, but you come into this this Ruby world where there's just you know gems galore. There's you know pre-written pieces of code that have done you know everything you want to do in your app, and it's just it seems really easy to just go out and just grab these things and package it all together, and you're just kind of stitching it. Um, you know, you know, connecting the dots as as you will. Um, but over time, we started to realize that for a lot of these these gems, uh, we were only using you know 20, 30 lines of code from it. Um, and I think this was most apparent on things like you know wrappers around like the Mailchimp API and SendGrid's API and 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 stuff like that. Um, where you know, to their credit, you know, Mailchimp has built this this great big API, and either they or third parties have built. Um, gem wrappers around that API. Um, but at the end of the day, we were only using a, a really tiny part of it. Um, and we were paying the price both in, you know, memory for managing the, you know, for having the gem loaded, um, complexity and having a, another dependency. Um, what else, uh, you know, and just, you know, kind of the risk of having someone else's code, you know, you know running within our, our product where we were only using this, you know, tiny, small, you know, you know, fraction of it. Um, and so one of the things we've been doing over the last couple of years is wherever possible is just extracting the pieces that we may need from from those gems or writing our own pieces, um, you know, our own you know code that mimics a lot what they do with the API and then just getting rid of that dependency. And that just gives us you know a lot less to manage uh, long term. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier to see where problems are coming from <laughs> for for only doing it that way. And and there's definitely uh, there's definitely a, a desire, I think, especially whether you're starting a new feature or a new product, to say, well, I might need to use all these things one day. And you pull it in, and then before you know it, you've pulled in a bunch of large, uh, large things. And I see 
customers do that with their own websites too, whether it's like Shopify stores or, or WordPress plugins, like they look for like the biggest plugin they can find to do something and they're trying to really solve a small problem. And so even if you're just like going through a WordPress plugin directory and you're looking for something that solves a problem, try and stay focused on like the very small problem that you have rather than trying to pull in a huge solution that you're only going to use a little bit of. Um, and something to be wary of if you're using like these plugins that we noticed on our marketing site is because I'm not going to convince everybody to, to get off of WordPress, but um, a lot of the plugins in WordPress will pull in a whole bunch of things that you just don't realize they're pulling in, whether they're loading different marketing scripts or different from different locations or whether they're you know, loading a CSS library that you've already loaded in your uh, in your location, and they're just loading a different version of it. Um, I've seen websites with you know three to four different versions of Bootstrap being loaded because there's a different plugin using a different version of Bootstrap. In reality, they could probably just consolidate around just using uh, one uh, one version of it. And the same thing with WordPress themes as well. It's just to check, you know, make sure you're only you know loading and using what you uh, what you need. Um, and the last thing, uh, speaking of loading and using what you need, uh, this came from another recent uh, customer support ticket at Kickoff Labs. Uh, this person was uh, had a landing page, and part of their landing page, they had a grid of uh, 10 embedded videos on the page, um, all loading from, from YouTube. Um, and he was at email, and he said, my, my landing page is really slow. Like, you know, is there something you guys can do to speed it up? And I had to look at it and say, well, uh, there's not much we can do to speed it up, but there's a lot you can do to speed up this landing page. Um, and the biggest one being uh, those 10 videos, you know, each one of them requests out to, to YouTube uh, were just slowing down and, and blocking the page. Um, I got him down to one video, um, which was just his main um, explainer video on the page. Uh, and um, I don't know if he actually went through the recommendation if you do feel like you need to link to multiple videos is just consider just linking to you know see also sort of text on the videos um, or just linking uh, with preview images of the videos. So you could still have a 10 by 10 grid, but if it's 10 small thumbnail images, at least it's going to be, you know, as long as they're right sized images, it's going to be a lot faster than these 10 embedded uh, embedded videos uh, that would be that would be in, in the, on the landing page and just, um, you know, Instantly, his page loaded much faster when he just went down to one uh, embedded video on the page and the rest of it wasn't blocking uh, everything else. And my bonus note about this, and this isn't really about conversion optimization, is that is that I wouldn't be, be too dependent on the video if you're building a landing page for con conversions. Um, you know, a lot of people... Uh, the videos are a nice secondary thing, but the text and images you have on the page should, uh, the video should just be complimentary. You should be able to get the gist of the page without the video. Imagine if, you know, the there's something wrong with the YouTube player or it doesn't work on their mobile device or they're at work and they can't listen to it because they don't have headphones. Um, I see a lot of people with landing pages, so I just have to make this note where the landing page text doesn't really say much and it just says watch the video and there's... You know, a lot of people will, but there's a lot of people who aren't going to watch the video and they just want to scan the page and text and get the gist of what you're trying to market to them, what you're trying to sell to them for them to make a decision and just realize that when you're the video is not an excuse um, to not have good copy and text on the landing page. And that 
I know has less to do with performance, but if you were, got rid of even that one video, the page would load even faster, although I do understand um, the videos can be helpful to sell, especially uh, certain uh, certain markets and, and segments. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I just, you know, I think there's too many videos. <laughs> I might be old, um, but I rarely, you know, come across, you know, the, a website, you know, for the first time and, you know, and click the play video. Um, usually scan to see what's going on. Yeah, I don't think that's uncommon. I think people scan uh, to see what's going on and on on the site, and then uh, and then decide if they wanna if they wanna get more information and, and watch a video. So you can't have the page without the the scanning info. Um, so that's the last uh, performance note that we had. Uh, let's see, what do you think of this episode, Scott? Uh, you know, forty some minutes. You know, I, I think we'll we'll have to work on our speed going forward as well. So we'll improve the performance next time. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, and with that, we'll stop the recording. If you have any feedback, uh, feel free to email josh at kickofflabs.com or scott at kickofflabs.com about this episode. And I have to throw in the obligatory, uh, please uh, subscribe and rate in your podcast app of your choice. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks, everyone.